Welcome back, everyone, to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. As always, I'm your host, Aaron White. But for this episode, I'm not alone. Here with me for this week's review of the newest, much-anticipated Tom Cruise spy adventure, and then what is sure to be a challenging series ranking afterward, is my friend and fellow Seattle film critic, Nick Tiffany. How you doing, Aaron? Good, man. This is exciting. I am thrilled to be able to talk about something with you finally. Been to some movies together now, and I wanted to just get a chance to do this online for once, and then also to kind of give some people who are listening to my show the opportunity to learn about you, and maybe even me to learn about you a little bit, I would say. You have been doing this longer than I have, in reality, like as far as... You started before I did, right? When did you begin being a film critic? Yeah, that's a good, that's a very good question. I think it goes back to 2012. Wow. Uh, I want to say I'm a sophomore in high school at the time. I have no concept of film criticism to a deep level, no idea about press screenings, any of this kind of stuff. Uh, but our good family friend, Mike Ward of ShouldIseeIt.net, just a a masterful, wonderful man. He uh, he knew I had a, a liking for Quentin Tarantino and Tarantino films. So out of nowhere, around my birthday, kind of early December, he's like, hey, would you and your dad want to go to a, an early screening of Django Unchained? And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to go see that like two weeks early? What is this? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and I can, I can bring a couple people if you want to go. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. That'd be great. And so we go and, you know, you got to get there 45 minutes early. But I mean, for 45 minutes before the film started, I was just soaking in all this conversation from most of the film critics who are still here in the Seattle area, too. Uh, but just shooting the breeze, talking shop, talking about all sorts of my favorite films, getting an entire index of movies that I was going to have to go and watch to understand some of what I was going to be seeing in Django. Uh, it was like a, a playground. It was like this just incredibly rich and nourishing environment. And I mean, after watching Django as well for your like, first press screening, I was, I mean, I was hooked. How could, how could I not be? Yeah, um, that's amazing. So shortly after that, uh, you know, my dad helped me kind of set up a WordPress blog site and it's like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to write reviews for myself for now just to kind of get better. And I'd go with Mike to one or two movies a week, sometimes covering for him if he couldn't make it. And after probably six months to a year, kind of got credentialed on my own. Uh, so then I could start bringing some people and started doing a lot more video reviews, um, kind of like the video on demand type stuff, uh, getting to do talent interviews as well, covering film festivals. And so, it, you know, I went from not knowing this world exists to like, how deep does the rabbit hole go <laughs> in this world and profession? That's a really cool story. I think it's a lot like most of us in many ways. I mean, it's very similar. It is very eye opening. I love how you described that moment, because for people who may be listening and do this for fun and a hobby, just like we have always done, uh, the, we would be doing now if we didn't have credentials. It, it is like that when you are sitting in your first press screening and you're surrounded by what you immediately understand are your people. They all think like you. They all obsess over movies in the way that you do. And it's just this natural place of 
joy. It's kind of like you're in the Nicole Kidman ad for a second where you just you all are there for the same reason. And it's it's special uh, and, it, and it is addictive. It is immediately you're like, I got to come back. This is where I need to be. Um, and so, yeah, so you were in Seattle film critic world for a long time. I came in middle to the late 2016 and i think you were like on your way out essentially yeah i was down uh i was down in houston Uh, at the time i was going to the university of houston there and at the time studying uh studying acting uh, with a focus in theater and performance and as so it goes in college i just kind of i was able to do a good amount of this reviewing for a while Um, i was writing for the school paper uh, covering different film festivals like the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin a couple times, which was tons of fun. But between school, working, and then moving back up here and then eventually finishing through Eastern, studying school time and work just kind of took over. And it was like, you know, I could try and do all three. And I'd be really stretching myself then. And I was kind of in the mindset that I'm like, you know, I just... I need to get done with school. I need to finish. I need to buckle down. And, you know, I was working a job I enjoyed too. Uh, So, you know, working and making money, it was like, hey, this is pretty great as well. But, you know, I'm working mostly nights that all the film screenings would be. So it was kind of like this. Is this what it is to be an adult now? I've got to be responsible and kind of put things on hold for a little and do the real life stuff for a bit. Um, And then, you know, I years went by unfortunately and sometime last year post pandemic i'd kind of started getting back in the theater again and it was like okay i really really missed this feeling kind of started podcasting a little at the end of last year uh, and then it wasn't until i think what end of april or maybe end of march uh, when you'd reached out to me to go check out air and i mean it was just like the first time it was like dude <laughs> I'm back. I'm like, this is yeah. the this is the world I'm meant to belong in. And it also was just like it felt like no time had passed seeing some of the same people. It was like everybody looks the same. They're all still talking about the same stuff. And so it was just uh it's come full circle. But yeah. but it's really, really awesome to be back just doing it's, this in any capacity. It's a cool story. Uh, yeah, so you're now you're podcasting, you're putting out a ton of stuff, by the way. Uh, like you came back with a vengeance. <laughs> Don't burn out, please. Uh, but yeah, so your podcasting is, and you have a website, right? Do you want to mention what that is? Yeah. So, uh, so you know, it's pretty. I'm trying to think of the right word. You know, it's it's nicktiffany.com. It's a little on the nose, but it's uh, Nick Tiffany's movie reviews. So doing podcasting, hosted on all the the main platforms. But nicktiffany.com was always kind of the landing site for reviews interviews and all that kind of stuff and so yeah, part of stepping away from this too was egged on by kind of losing the domain name for a while corrupted wordpress losing hundreds of reviews and then just kind of saying ah you know what it's better to just delete it move on and maybe start from scratch again and so kind of been rebuilding so to speak um, and it's been fun but it's been such like a an addicting process as well because i'm sure like you it's like okay i'm just trying to tweak every little thing i'm like i yeah i don't know how like like that search box looking there i'm like let's try to move that down if i could truncate this and so it's it's been a lot of work but you know it's all been pretty enjoyable i can't remember the last time i've spent like eight hours a day just 
throughout the day coding little bits here and there and trying to perfect okay how does this look on the ipad here on the mobile phone here uh but uh but no it's been it's been awesome it's been really fun to kind of get back into it and learning the podcast side of this because you know i'm trying to think of how many years i've been in the feel and film group on facebook now uh, <laughs> sometimes as an observer sometimes as a commenter often as a listener and so when you'd reached out it was kind of like oh i was like i've been following this guy for a little while now it's like you know there's like these like micro micro celebrities within the, oh, gosh, the film critic space stop. And so it was like, <laughs> oh, cool. But I'm like, and, and you know, your your naval ties was something where, you know, my dad being in the Navy and growing up with yeah. some of that knowledge, I was just like, this dude, you know, you're a Razorbacks fan. So, you know, I'm like pretty, pretty well-rounded individual. So it was like, all right, you know, this is, I'm going to chop at the bit to, to shoot the breeze with him and, you know, just get to know him better and kind of learn some of this space as well. Awesome. Well, I appreciate all that, man. That's, that's very nice of you. Um, yeah, so we're glad to have you. you. It's I just wanted to kind of get a quick history of you and put your work out there for people so they know where they can find it. We'll we'll mention it again at the end of the episode, listeners, so you can write it down if you need to or go subscribe right now so you don't forget. That would be the ideal way to do it. But we're here to talk about a movie, so let's get into that now. This is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 from Paramount Pictures. It stars Tom Cruise, Haley Atwell, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, Isai Morales, Palm Clementiev, Miriela Garriga, Henry Cerny, Shea Wiggum, Greg Tarzan Davis, Charles, Charles Parnell, Frederick Schmidt, Carrie Ells, Mark Gaddis, Indira Varma, and Rob Delaney. It is directed by Christopher McQuarrie. It was written by McQuarrie and Eric Jindrason. It is based on the Mission Impossible TV series created by Bruce Geller. Cinematography is by Fraser Taggart. Music by Lauren Balfe. And it is edited by Eddie Hamilton. Runs 163 minutes and is rated PG-13. What's it about? Ethan Hunt and his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls in the wrong hands. That generic enough for you? I hope so. We're going to actually explain what that dangerous weapon is because all of these movies revolve around essentially tracking down a dangerous weapon before it falls in the wrong hands, it feels like, um, for the most part. So, yeah, we're not going to spoil any major plot beats, but we are going to kind of express what the plot entails. Otherwise, it would be very hard to tell you our feelings on it. With that being said, uh, this movie opens with a set piece that... It's funny, Nick, that you just mentioned my naval background. This movie has a nuclear submarine, a Russian nuclear submarine, and it has a very reminiscent feel to Hunt for Red October to me, the way that the movie started off. And it sort of sets up essentially what is going to be a story about a rogue AI. And I hope I'm wetting your whistles, listeners, because this is a really cool intro piece, in my opinion. And I was locked into this, man. I don't know about you, but I, I thought it was a fantastic way to get us into this world of dead reckoning. And it explains kind of what the title's about, too. Absolutely. I think uh, anytime a movie kind of starts separate from all the actors always kind of intrigues me, especially when it's sort of a lengthy 
intro, certainly laying all the different groundwork and going through some of the procedural submarine basics, whether it's locking missiles, loading the actual torpedoes themselves, so many things that it takes you through, kind of showcasing the not just the strength of these submarines, but the ingenuity, especially with this special technology. And so very early on, you realize, like, okay, this is something unique. This is really impressive and kind of quite dangerous, what this sub could be capable of with this technology. Uh, and so it, uh, it kind of sets a really eerie, like, I, you're not really certain what is real or how you can be manipulated in different ways in this digital age. I thought, like you said, Hunt for Red October, I mean, it was a really gripping and really interesting start to the movie. Yeah, you mentioned there, there's no Mission Impossible actors in this whole, like, 15 minute or so, it feels like, opening. And it is, it's a little bit of a wild, cold open, because you're, part of me, while I was engaged, I was wondering, like, okay, where's Tom Cruise? Is he going to pull off a mask Who's gonna uh, throw in this submarine off? or something, you know? Like, is something going to happen here? Uh, but that's not the route it goes, right? It's, it's establishing this AI that is going to be the major antagonist of the film in a big way. That sounds wild. So <laughs> I want to like kind of get at how we thought about this from a, a big plot perspective. The idea is that there's an AI that wants control of everything, wants to essentially run the world and it, and it is utilizing old human operative x like agency human operatives to do its bidding that is the best way that i can describe it people that are aligned with the ai as its servants if you will and the way that the movie kind of ties this in is to establish the main human counterpart of ethan hunt as a historical enemy so they kind of write in a backstory. Personally, I felt it was shoehorned in in a way that I didn't really care for at all and didn't think it needed to be there <laughs> once what at all. Like it just it, it adds some backstory here to why Ethan knows this person mm -hmm. and he's got to fight up. He's got to fight against this guy, right, who is doing the bidding of this AI. And it's all about who is going to control the the uh the key that will essentially turn off the ai it's the only way to get rid of it and that's what the plot is about it's you know it's so interesting just kind of we were talking about the the ai kind of hosting or using a host you know in an odd way back in 2013 with her you know the idea of this surrogate you know you'll have a computer in your head but it's gonna have you know we're okay with that one the human body <laughs> To kind of do, you know, it's, it's totally... It didn't bother me nearly as much. <laughs> but um, but it, it really is intriguing because I also think of movies like Eagle Eye, which is even longer ago with the idea of a supercomputer kind of taking over and creating all sorts of havoc and finding ways to identify an individual and try to corrupt them or corrupt what's around them. And it's really interesting how these films continuously evolve with the times and some of the films i feel like around them because there's a there's a lot of ways you could kind of talk about fast and furious in this movie and i'm sure we'll get to that but i think 
you know, what, two or three movies ago when AI is the big bad and cars are just slamming through the streets and it just kind of felt ridiculous. Sometimes the AI in movies can be a little wonky. You're like, I'm an evil supercomputer and we're going to do some crazy impossible stuff. Not that that couldn't happen in the impossible movies, but I feel like the seriousness of how they take it in Dead Reckoning really can showcase some of those implications of how quickly it is to manipulate anything from your money to identity to you name it. If it's electronic, consider it done. And you might not even know it happened. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think it does present a really unique challenge for them to face when you essentially remove any sort of digital activity. They have to go analog. My frustration came in that I didn't really see a lot of creativity in this film for how they did go about being analog. I I missed the spy tech, frankly. There was nothing in here reminiscent of like the scene in Ghost Protocol where they put up this wall of that like they move forward to make the hallway shrink as Such you know that scene. is amazing. There's nothing like that Water in droplets. this. Yeah. This felt me to me like they almost wrote themselves into a corner to something like you truly couldn't really face off. And that took some of the enjoyment of what I like about a spy movie out of it because it felt to me like we really leaned into masks hardcore again. Now masks are always going to be a facet. And there are scenes in this movie. The first time that a mask is involved, in fact, which I loved the reveal of it was brilliant. Uh But then they just kind of keep going and going and going and going with it in this one because that's all they've got. And I felt like they leaned into the action side of this movie and the spectacle more so than the spy side. And the balance was a little off for my personal preference. Now, I I say that like within the context, we'll kind of decide where we're going to rank it here afterwards. I love this series and Every movie in this series is like kind of leaps and abounds above what any other franchise is doing right now. So like I'm only Absolutely. being critical in regards to comparing it to other Mission Impossible movies, really. It, and, you know, it, it's such a unique series, too, because as I was kind of prepping for our ranking, it was like, all right, I got to go back. Really got to watch the first three Mission Impossibles because I had next to no memory of the first two almost. Uh, and then Ghost Protocol, I've probably seen a billion times just because, I mean, Brad Bird, top to bottom, that movie's phenomenal. And when you have a new movie each time with a new director, a new cinematographer, you've got a new composer, you know, you go from Danny Elfman to Hans Zimmer to Michael Giacchino. I don't know who've done the last two. You know, I just kind of keep looking through IMDb and it's like, wow, it's almost like a whole new setup each time. And those movies feel like it tonally. Watching the first Mission Impossible directed by Brian De Palma, I was like, wow, this has such soft tones. Every time someone's face is on camera, it looks older. It feels like this weathery, dreary kind of, maybe not spy thriller, but it certainly has this air of espionage or something that's a little more secretive and spy-like. And these movies have always done a pretty good job, I'd say, humor-wise as well. Not just flat-out telling jokes necessarily, but uh, finding humor in some of those crazy, ridiculous moments. And I just felt like this film, now that this is what our third Christopher, uh, third Christopher Macquarie yes. 
Mission Impossible. They really have found a great rhythm for their action. I mean, you're right. They're doing stuff that no other action series is coming close to. And for that, it's always a hats off. But as we've gone for the spectacle, it feels like we've kind of lost out on some of that group dynamic. You know, I mean, I love Benji. Simon Pegg is terrific. I always want more of him. And I think his moments with Ethan, especially in moments of duress, are really entertaining and enjoyable. And it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, this movie's almost three hours. So I think we could spend a little bit more time with the team or, you know, going analog or taking the time to try to get a little more creative with some of that. And like John Wick 4, which is also incredible, I'm like, you know, maybe a couple action sequences could have been shortened just a little bit. It just kind of, te- like, a couple scenes just kind of go on. I mean, the action is still insane. But I was like, wow, this is a long set piece. This is a really yeah. long action piece and you know i haven't heard dialogue in almost 20 minutes now (laughs) and that's fine but coming out of the movie it was like okay that was a lot of spectacle and i kind of missed like the heart of that group dynamic a little bit though yeah i'm with you i mean and so spectacle wise folks one of my big gripes and i say this all the time on my podcast is that i don't mind trailers like the first trailer for a movie and like teaser trailers and ones that are put out like six months in advance or longer I love that because it's usually just a taste. And by the time the movie comes out, I've forgotten. Mm -hmm. I have a love hate relationship with what mission impossible has done because it's using it as a marketing strategy. At least two out of the four big action point parts of this movie, the motorcycle jump and what's called like sky racing or something. I forgot what Tom Cruise called it. He posted about it today on Twitter, but it's him with a parachute maneuvering it. Okay. There's those are two of the big kind of pieces in this and they're all over. Like they're showing them off and explaining them in detail like documentary <laughs> style before people get to see them and I just when you see it in the movie, I just couldn't help man but be like well this would be a lot cooler when the character in the movie like Benji in this example is like acting surprised about what he is directing Ethan to do, but we already know the end result of it. It just takes some of the excitement out of that for me, but yes, they're incredible. And there are a couple of pieces in here that people are going to be like majorly wowed by the climax. There's a specific video game reference that came to my head. So I know exactly where you're at. I was like, let's go. That's amazing. And then the car chase in that movie, I would say, but (laughs) well, it's definitely better than they did it in that movie. The other time. Yes. But in the video game, it's still pretty good. But uh, yeah. And then the car chase, which does go on for about 20 minutes, but is also in a city that compares very closely to what happens in fast X. And my whole thought process was like, retroactively i wanted to drop fast x even another star rating just because i watched someone do a car chase and i was like you're the car movie and this movie just did the car chase like a hundred times better than the car movie so the action's Uh awesome but yeah there's some niggles yeah just a bit there's you know it's it's really interesting because you were talking about it's like we've seen the entire explanation i remember going to avatar uh, the Way of Water and IMAX. And, you know, we got there early because I was like, all right, you know, we got to see the previews. I want to see that Oppenheimer teaser. I want to see certain things. And we got the, what, seven-minute Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie IMAX. Hey, we're doing the craziest jump of all time. 
and we're going to show you in detail, and we're going to show you about like 15 takes as well. Go see the movie next summer. And it was like, wow, that was just, I mean, I got goosebumps watching it. But I was like, okay, like, I guess I've kind of seen it though. And so you're right, come the movie time, I already knew what to expect. I knew what was coming. Not that it wasn't going to be any less awesome or as big a spectacle, but it kind of took me out a little bit. And I feel like I keep seeing films these days, this whole weird, we're in a weird limbo right now with digital releases. Movies are coming out and less than a week later, we're already getting behind the scenes footage. We're getting featurettes that are, you know, 20, 30 minutes long. We're going to post the first 20 minutes of the movie on YouTube and then in two weeks, we're throwing it on digital. Just, it's a weird, it's a weird world we live in, though. But we just have almost too much access to these movies right now. Because you're right, a movie's not even out three days before we're posting spoilers. Like, not we, but the producers, the people, they're like, we're posting spoilers now. I'm sure yeah. you all saw it yesterday, so let's go in-depth and talk about da 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 and I'm like, ah, this is kind of too soon, I feel like. Like, give it give it a chance to have some legs, you know? Yeah, let us be surprised every once yes. in a while. I mean, that's one of the best cinematic feeling. feelings you can have. Before we go to the, the cast, supporting cast on the, like, good side, or I guess overall, I did want to talk, let's talk about the villains. So mm-hmm. that'll include some of them. So we have Isai Morales as the agent of the AI. I had a real problem with this, again, simply because... This series, in my opinion, has given us such incredibly memorable villains from Philip Seymour Hoffman to just most recently, like going from Henry Cavill and Sean Harris and the syndicate and the idea of the syndicate. And it disappears in this movie. It is not mentioned once. (laughs) And I was like, I thought we were going to carry on this. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up in the next movie as like in the background having... It would kind of feel forced because like they don't mention it at all. And I miss, dude, I miss Sean Harris and I missed like a Henry Cavill-esque character. something about that voice. It just, yeah, dude, this just did not do it for me. He was, he's very wooden on purpose. Um, And then I will say his sidekick, played by Palm Clementoff, who is like an assassin. She almost doesn't speak at all. And she is badass, dude. She's freaking awesome in this movie. I loved her. I, you know, I enjoy her as Mantis, but this was like a complete 180. I was like, she's clearly having a great time plowing through the streets of Rome, destroying cars and just taking names. To me, watching the movie, though, and maybe it was the lack of speaking. I don't know. But I was like, this, I'm kind of getting Harley Quinn vibes here. And, you know, less of a playful Harley Quinn, but maybe more so like that. I don't care about destroying things and you're going to see how bad I could be. And I was like, dude, she's I'm kind of afraid. She's doing some acrobatic stuff and she's just ruthless with some people, too. I was like that. Weirdly, I'm like, I could kind of see her as like a Harley Quinn or something like that. She she surprised I think it was the me. mime paint. At one point, she's wearing like white mime paint. So that yep. probably helped <laughs> with the Harley Quinn reference. <laughs> But um, uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm with you about uh, Isai. I was it felt forced because you know I'm sitting here scrambling. I'm like, did I miss something before watching this? I'm like, should I know him? Is there someone that I <laughs> you know? I'm like, and so I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, well everyone else kind of looks confused too. Or like, sure, he's the guy. Um, but but you're right. It just it felt very weak 
in comparison. And even with having that AI kind of team up, it was like, oh, you could be really threatening or imposing in a lot of different maybe psychological ways or something, but it just never really turned into anything more than just, okay, well, I guess you are the servant of the bad guy and you're just here to do its bidding to the best of your ability. But I'm with you. I didn't, I didn't totally buy it, unfortunately. If we transition sort of in between, there's like a Vanessa Kirby returning as the White Mm -hmm. Widow, as Alana, uh, and she is another link. This movie has quite a few links to Mission Impossible 1. I don't want to reveal one of them, even though he's in the, like, his his name is in the cast. The the marketing is putting him out there. Is it? Okay, well, I'll just say this. So, well, we'll get to them. (laughs) I guess they're in the middle. Vanessa Kirby is good in this. Mm Mm-hmm. William Kittredge is back as the director of the IMF. Again, tied into this whole idea that they are really trying to backfill Mission Impossible 1 and and as a prequel to how Ethan Hunt got into the IMF. And I, I didn't it didn't work. So I like him in this role mm-hmm. a lot. I enjoy his scenes. Boy does he freaking chew scenery so well. but it was hard for me to get behind narratively because it made no sense. Why would someone who was the IMF director and then disappeared out of this series for 27 years when we've had multiple other IMF directors suddenly be in charge of the IMF again? So it works in a vacuum, but it doesn't work as a connective piece in a franchise as well to me. And then for other editions or new or cast in general, like you, I just kind of wanted more from everybody. I, I thought this cast is phenomenal. Haley Atwell rocks. Obviously, she Rebecca does. Ferguson, people love for good reason. So it was good to have her back. You know, you've got your Simon Pegg and your Ving Rames. And, and I enjoy every time we get to do stuff with them. I think the film struggles with trying to balance the addition of Haley Atwell and her importance to this mm-hmm. story with the returning importance of the character of Ilsa played by Rebecca Ferguson. And it did not totally work for me in the way that they decided to handle things simply because I felt like we started to get pretty repetitive with the way that Ethan's relationship with women have been. And it feels to me like they've been in a place now where it's like, we've got to introduce a new woman every single movie for Ethan to interact with. And while that is a good way to you know, get a new actress and infuse more talent, it, it's starting to feel like we're just rotating to me. So I really enjoyed Haley Atwell and I don't want her out of this movie. But at the same time, I'm kind of like maybe we are reaching a good point for this to end and start over later on down the road because we're we're really just recreating the wheel. There were there were a lot of moments that you know, with this film being as long as it is too, I I found myself just kind of feeling like, all right, you know, someone would say something or, you know, here's the mission objective. And then someone else in the room would repeat it back. And there's this thing with movies that they do where they're like, we've got eight powerhouse actors all in the same room. And so we're going to each have them say one line of dialogue and just kind of jump around. And it's fine for what it is sometimes, but I felt like this film kind of like whatever the plot is, they were kind of spoon feeding it to us sometimes. It felt like a little on the nose. It's like, well, this is what we've got to do and it's going to be hard. And here's 
exactly this. And then the next character would almost just repeat that verbatim. And I was like, okay, well, good. I'm glad that you also understand the mission. But now we've heard it like three times already. And so it's like, I think we know what we're doing. And I'm with you. I like Haley Atwell, you know, kind of like Tom Cruise. She's just got this magnetic ability with her smile, I think, that like they look good together. They work great together. One is completely frantic and the other is completely horrified and out of her world and element. Uh, But the combo worked a lot better than I had anticipated it to. But I agree. It feels like, hey, yeah, here's a new woman that we need to bring in. Ethan, you got to flirt with someone, maybe begrudgingly, but it just, it does. It kind of pulls you away from the characters who it feels like, all right, we've had a few movies now to get really invested in their storylines and what's going on with those relationships. And it's cool to bring someone new in, but at the sake of spending that time with the team and the family you already know, you know, somehow the Fast and Furious franchise, for all their woes, despite having half of Hollywood in their movies, they still manage to give you little bits or at least try to spend five minutes here with these two, five minutes here with these two. Let's at least give these three a scene together before some big conclusion or something like that. And so it just, it was just missing that, missing that touch as well, I think. Shea Wiggum was a bright spot for me. He's the one other one I wanted to mention. Uh, (laughs) He plays like a I don't even know, man. Some sort of U.S. Special Forces person trying to hunt down Ethan. He um, he and Tarzan. He and Tarzan. Yeah, the, <laughs> that fantastic pairing. Fantastic totally. pairing. Great. There's a buddy comedy waiting to happen <laughs> with those two characters. Uh, and I just thought they were uh, a real highlight in it uh, every time that, they showed up. That was the that was the humor almost more for me. I'm yeah, like, that, that was the lightness that I was kind of looking for. And I was like, these aren't bad guys. I'm like, they're I'm like, I like these guys. I'm like, keep keep up with the action. I want I want to see more of you. And so and, you know, it was nice seeing there were a couple familiar Top Gun Maverick faces. There were movie. Charles yes. Parnell. As yeah. soon as he popped up and I heard his voice, I was like, yes, it's like awesome. Glad to have you here. Uh, and then Tarzan, of course, it was like, all right, you know, but the. But the one thing, it's hard because someone had asked me the other day uh, when I'd gotten back to work the next day, and they're like, oh, you saw Mission Impossible, you know, how does it compare to Top Gun? And I thought it was interesting because I was like, you know, I've, I've been hearing mostly from people that are like, how does it compare to Fallout? How does it compare to, you know, the Mission Impossible movies? But, you know, it's Tom Cruise's next big thing. And I'm like, dude, the action's out of this world. But, and, you know, I think it just really speaks to the anomaly that Top Gun is the outlier that Maverick is because that movie truly has a bigger heart than so many independent foreign, whatever you name it. I mean, like that movie was something else entirely. And as much as I enjoyed this film, I was like, it was missing some of that, some of that heart with those people. I'm like, you know, you need Tom with his people. I will talk to you some about offline because i want to ask you a question about that there, there is a decided choice that is made in this movie that i think if with one character that i think if something had happened to a different character instead it would have amped the emotional buy-in for me in a humongous way and it's sort of teased but then mm-hmm. they don't go through with it the, the direction mm-hmm. that i'm reporting so uh, okay. anyway it's not the highest emotional level of the series and i think the series has struggled to find a balance between having an all-star cast with all these people to give time to and also find a way to make it, you know, emotionally 
you know, riveting for us. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, I think that's most of what I had to say, but yeah, I think I, I, think I liked it a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's always this weird anomaly. I feel like where it's like, I really did enjoy a movie, but I know I've got some constructive criticism, let's say. And I think it's good because, you know, these are filmmakers and people at the height of the industry who are putting out quality content like no other. And so, you know, I, I respect and admire so much and enjoy what they make. And sometimes it's all right to kind of hold them to a little bit of a standard, too. It's like, this was great. This is miles above most of the movies that will come out this year. That doesn't mean that you can't improve or that you can find somewhere to really kind of touch and hit home in the heart for a lot of people. So so I think, I th- I think I've said my piece. I'm, I'm just interested now to hear, uh, hear your rankings. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. So see this in IMAX. We will both tell you that. No, definitely. You definitely want definitely. to see it on the biggest screen possible. It will blow you away and it is well worth that. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 available in theaters on July the 12th. All right. So now we're going to transition into this difficult exercise of ranking the series. And... We're going to do this a little differently than just give you our individual rankings. I want us to work. (laughs) Sorry. So that's all right with me. So what we're going to do (laughs) is we are going to start. Maybe this is a mission that's impossible. Uh, Sorry. I had to get a pun in there somewhere. We're going to start at the bottom with we're going to propose or kind of put forth what we think our the bottom film would be. And then we will, we'll talk through it. Eventually we're going to meet somewhere, maybe, oh, probably a snag where we disagree and we'll talk it out. We'll talk about our pros, our cons, what we like about a movie, what we didn't like about a movie and ultimately do our best to come to an agreement. And, you know, maybe we make a deal. Maybe you give me one at a certain spot. I give you another one (laughs) at a certain spot. Uh, And we'll come to our consensus I say loosely, ranking in the end. So that's the plan. Perfect. With that said, what do you think is the least great of this franchise? The least great, which is not the best. It's still good. <laughs> Unless uh, you think it's bad. And you, you feel free to say it if you think it's bad. I, you know, I, I think the one, uh, well, there's a couple that I feel like I can appreciate, but didn't necessarily connect with emotionally or maybe it's just the the product of the time as well and some of the the cheesiness perhaps i i think i would have mission impossible 2 at the bottom you know when i think of it felt like there was a time where every show or movie it's like all right there's centox nerve gas there's some sort of crazy biohazard gas that's going to be brought into the city somewhere and we're going to release this virus and uh and maybe it was just that i'd seen it done some other times as well, and I'm just have fonder memories of how 24, the TV show handled it, maybe or something to that degree. But um, but I don't know. It's it, it's enjoyable, but it watching it again a couple nights ago, it was like okay, I, maybe this is why I don't totally remember it. I'm like it was it was fun, it was fun, it was fine, but I kind of forgot about it not long after watching it. Unfortunately, so this is easy because I easily say Mission Impossible 2 as far as the the bottom tier for me as well. It, agree. It is just so much exaggeration in a series 
that I feel is at its best because it's mostly grounded and believable. Mm-hmm. And this one just kind of throws that out the window with style. John Woo goes for style. So you got the doves and you got the big <laughs> motorcycle jump at the end and, you know, uh-huh. into grabbing each other and everything exploding <laughs> in the background. And it's just kind of crazy. And it's it's fun to watch as like a palate cleanser and a little bit of a, a different vibe. But there is nowhere in here that I find anything that would make it like my most rewatchable. I would not choose to revisit this one on its own. I would only revisit this one as part of a full series rewatch. For sure. For sure. So, okay, cool. So there we go. Number two is at the bottom. So I'll go next. I'll we'll, maybe we'll have to we'll take do. we'll take turn. Oh, you don't want the pressure. I see. You're you're you wilting already. We're no, not no. even close to the top. Okay. I'm, I'm it's going to get hard. Um, I'm playing mental math in my head right now. But all right. Where are we going to end out? I So so here's the thing. So the, for me, the rest of these movies are above average movies that I really really like for various reasons. So it's a matter of like picking between children to some extent. I would propose that Mission Impossible 3 is the next worst. I hate using that terminology. Is number six in our rankings. Sure. Uh, that is what I would say. So my reasons for that are that I don't think it's the best Mission Impossible spy movie. It has the best villain in the series in Philip Seymour Hoffman. In limited screen time, he is unreal terrifying uh, just absolutely phenomenal performance it also is the most emotional of the entire series and i know that a lot of people value that as it's like like that overpowers everything else for some people to the point mm-hmm. that it puts it first and i kind of understand that because i'm an emotional guy this is feeling film and the reason that it's not as good of a spy movie is because they spend so much time buying into the emotional aspect of Ethan and his wife and what's going to happen and can he save her. But Mm -hmm. there's not really a a problem to be solved other than that. Like they throw one in, but it's kind of, it feels forced to the point where it's like the most wanted list. Yeah. It's like bad dude. This is just, it's just a device to get you to where he's chasing down his wife and trying to save Mm -hmm. his wife to me. And so for me, that just doesn't jive as well with something really interesting and like in the spy world like i want subterfuge i want you know all this like hidden games and and tricks and cool gear and stuff like that and yeah it's it's an okay supporting cast just not by any means my strongest supporting cast either and so that's kind of why i have to put it down there I, you know what, I think, I think we can meet on the, we can meet in the middle on this. I think three was probably going to be my number three in this ranking, but I can, I can definitely get on board with that, especially talking about the idea that you're right. Most of the story just kind of serves to get you emotionally invested in Ethan's life. You spend some marital time, you see some marital, not woes, but you know, you understand their dynamic a little bit and what he has to hide from her. And the one thing it makes me miss though maybe from these newer movies is there's that scene where they're up in the in the plane and he's got philip seymour hoffman tied up to the to the bench 
I know. opens up the so he opens good. up the bottom and he's like you know cutting every little uh cutting all the zip ties one by one as he's hanging out possibly gonna die and ethan's just pissed and i love when tom cruise yells he like he and dicaprio and a couple others when they yell it's just like you do not want to be on the other end of that and there's just some brilliant moments between the two where i'm like i like a little more adult i i think That's i always kind of lean a little more heavy on i don't want to say the violent side but in that sense that it really does add an interesting layer to ethan to see him take into this point where he's almost so helpless that it's like dude i'm just gonna beat the crap out of you if you have to because i there's nothing else i can do oh uh did you so did you say this was your number three overall oh sorry you know what no i meant number three in our going backwards it would have been so my what next would you pick. what would you want in this spot instead of this it probably would be the first mission impossible oh uh, no, okay absolutely no I, will not, I was like I, if it had been something else i was thinking about trading or like accepting it but there's i i can't accept that i, I think i think we can agree that we'll, we'll go Holy two three okay that so works the, for me okay so then to start and so you think that i need okay let me hear out your reasoning then for why you would put mission impossible as like the next one so, watching it the other night, there is a whole heck of a lot that I really appreciate about it. Whether it's the 90s technology, some of the early Netscape browsers, so many of these little spy tools. You know, we're going to put a camera in the bridge of your glasses. And it's so, you know, we've never had something like this before. Um, and there is that really fun side to the gadgetry behind all of this. And there's a uh, there's a moment, though that I had totally forgotten about, which kind of feeds into my like, wow, maybe these movies should do a little more violence like this. Emilio Estevez, man. That guy gets like, not even just crushed by an elevator, but spike through the face as he gets crushed by an elevator. And rewatching that, I was like, dude, this is, we were all kind of looking around. We're like, this is hardcore. I was like, wow, that you definitely don't see stuff like that happening in the movies. At least now. I mean, you know, Leah Seydoux got kicked out of the, Burj Khalifa but other than that I'm like you know no one else has really suffered something that crazy and so there's moments throughout that whole film that you know I love Jean Reno his he his attitude throughout the whole film is just hilarious and you know it really does feed into that sleight of hand you know oh you know I've got the disc here who's got the disc I've got it there and it's fun and it uh you know I like Ving Rhames, I think, a little bit more than the other supporting cast in there. But it balances between, and I feel like it's because De Palma's at the helm. Every time Tom Cruise is in the shot, it looks like, yeah, this is 1995. You know, this is yeah, he's present like, day. He's like then, 20 years, 30 no, years younger. I know, but, but <laughs> then, and you know, I'm blanking on uh, who plays uh, his counterpart, John Voight's wife. Um Every time the lens is on her, it looks like I'm watching some 70s De Palma movie because it looks like there's like a little blur on the film and her face just looks so much softer. And the way she kind of speaks is very, you know, they're not quite femme fatale, but I'm like, there's definitely spy vibes that I was getting from it the whole time. And I was like, I know what movie she's from and what movie they're putting her in here. But I, you know, it's, I understand it. It set up the entire series. I'd always seen the the gif or the video of him being lowered, catching the sweat on the glove before it drops down with the lasers. You know, there's some really, 
really iconic moments. But another weird thing I have maybe about going back and revisiting these after watching the newer series, some of it's the music too. They've got really good with the music, just in the sense of how they can tell the story. You know, Michael Giacchino is probably my favorite composer that's done any of these movies. Hans Zimmer's was very good, but there is just something about the energy that they can create with that theme. And so as it's evolved over time, I'm like, okay, now we're feeling full Mission Impossible. I don't know. There's just a, there's a, just a feeling. It's like, I know it's where it started difference. and it's nice to know where it started, but I prefer, I think, okay. some of the some of the more modern <laughs> I, I get it. I totally, totally get it. I mean, this comes on the heels of the TV show, and I don't want to go too deep into it because this is actually Patrick and I's I haven't next. I've seen the TV show, and that you know, here I am doing my homework, and I'm like, Mission Impossible, based off the TV show. Yeah, I mean, huh. I don't think most huh. people did. I grew up in the era, so like I did, and I, and I felt like I won't give away some of the things we're gonna talk about on our main episode, but like, there's really some interesting things they did with it. I personally just love it because i love de palma style and i think it's so it's so unique that it stands out amongst everything else now some of the cgi like definitely doesn't hold up like when the plane crashes or the plane the like helicopter, <laughs> the helicopter in the know, there's some there's some gnarly looking it's stuff that they do some similar it's, things it's in dead reckoning time you know? uh, and if you compare the two the two pieces on a train it's like whoa <laughs> so yeah it's a product of its time but you know it it uses masks incredibly well it's the first time so it's not overused and mm-hmm. their twists are really good and interesting and yeah they i just are. i adore it for for mainly because of the ori- being in the original and because of it being so stylish and there's it that was, uh... You know, everybody went rogue after this. It was like every single movie has somebody go rogue, but this was the first, mm-hmm. so it didn't feel overused. But I, I get some of the criticisms of it. Uh, so I would put in the next spot Dead Reckoning Part 1. I would I would agree that that would be kind of my next it would. jump. It would be. Can I? Be kind of right there in the middle of the pack. So, so Mission Impossible is like my number two. So I, I understand we're gonna have to like okay, have oh, to give right. a little. I have all to right. give a little here, and I get that you are representing this modern run very strongly. So that's okay. I will <laughs> allow it to slip to four, but I can't let it be five. Like I, I can't put it all the way down there. That, I just can't. I, I can live with that. I so can, can put we, Dead Reckoning. We can do Dead Reckoning next at five. I could live with that. Okay, so we'll do Dead Reckoning at five, Mission Impossible at four, and that leaves us three movies, which most people consider to be the three best, I think. I think a lot of people, older people like me, will agree about Mission Impossible 1, but these four were always, I think, going to be the top four, in my opinion. In some way or form, like Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout are the the cream of the crop. Mm. So... Number three. What do we have left? Ghost Na- Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Rogue Nation and Fallout. Fallout. I would put Fallout at number three, personally. Mm. Here's the face. There's okay. the face. All right. I, you know what? I was like, we could either go one, two, three right here real quick. Or... Okay. All right. You're only one off from where I would put uh Okay. So what Fallout. is your one, two, three, then? I think my my one two three would probably be 
Ghost Protocol, Fallout, and then Rogue Nation. And the two and three, you know, Rogue Nation and Fallout, it's interesting. I'd seen Rogue Nation probably more. It was one that I showed more people as well, probably. Whether it's Henry Cavill reloading the guns, creating a, a new pocket on his shirt and a mustache, and just crazy helicopter fights and all of that. I mean, it's a freaking fantastic movie. And then the other day, I watched Rogue Nation again for the first time in forever. And the entire opera scene, I just, you know, really enjoy. And, you know, it's really creative in its use of some of that technology. You know, I'm pulling apart this trumpet and each little piece is going to turn into what will eventually become a rifle and the creativity behind that and, you know, kind of setting up the syndicate as well. And obviously introducing us to Elsa. I really was surprised by how much I enjoyed that one again. I knew I really, I knew I liked it. Then, you know, after watching Avatar, The Way of Water again, you know, this whole who can hold their breath longer (laughs) competition. It's like, there is something totally to be said for why you shoot underwater and why it makes a difference in how the action ends up looking. It's that whole sequence when he's down in the turbine is just awesome. He's getting knocked around and trying to swim his way back. And uh, I loved it. I loved it. But Fallout, I don't know, that, that whole ending to Fallout just gets so freaking crazy. And I'm just like gripping the, I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat. For that whole like back 30 minutes or so, Henry Cavill just holding a mount, you know, holding this giant gun, shooting at crews in his helicopter. I mean, there's some awesome, awesome sequences there. But, you know, I will say with these three or four movies as of late, I think a a common gripe that you've kind of shared as well is just like, oh, no, you know, how many masks can we use? Or by the time you're at the seventh movie, I feel like I feel like I've seen some of this before. It's like, oh, no this thing didn't finish printing. I'm like, how many times have I seen that? How many times in a Mission Impossible movie does the same thing happen where they're like, ah, shoot, looks like we got to go back to basics, you know? And I guess maybe you almost expect it now, but but, but Ghost Protocol, that I probably saw that. I was doing the math the other day. I think I saw it four or five times in IMAX okay. when it came out. And that was partially fueled by my love of Christopher Nolan and the fact that certain IMAX screenings were going to show you the first eight minutes of The Dark, the Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Or, oh, The Dark Knight Rises, yeah. Uh, the whole Bane plane sequence that they'd shot. And so, obviously, I wanted to see Mission Impossible because I was like, this looks pretty good. And I was younger at the time, for sure, where I'm like, I definitely hadn't watched the, the first three, I don't think. Um, and if I had, I'd only been probably bits and pieces. But that movie was just the perfect packaging of spy, thriller, this sense of family with this group who just have such an enjoyable dynamic and repartee. Uh, You know, Paula Patton, you know, that was one where I'm like, is she in the other movies too? No. I'm like, she was, I, I really like her in that movie. I think she works super well in the group with them all. Uh, Simon Pegg is just aces in that film and you know he was hot at that time too that's like star trek prime time simon Pegg, who just was firing on all cylinders and the mask stuff's great tom cruise running through the desert the burj khalifa i mean there are just so many moments in that film that are exciting entertaining emotionally gripping 
frustrating sometimes, um, and then just very aware of itself, you know, in these moments where it's like, okay, you know what? The only way down to the case is buckling myself in this car, driving off the lift, <laughs> and I, you know, mission success, mission success. Come on. <laughs> There's, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. And I read these stories where I think it was Macquarie who'd said it. He was like, you know, they brought me on to supervise for the script for Ghost Protocol. And it was like, you know, we need you to help kind of figure out where we need to go, what the problem is. And he's like, the problem is you're writing Tom Cruise out of the movie. You know, they were going to go with Jeremy Renner and kind of like he's going to be our new Ethan Hunt, essentially. Um, And I always thought Renner was really great in that movie, too. Um, And I think that's like a a role or a type of role where he maybe is best at. He could do a couple types of leading man, but I buy him way more kind of in that role of like government oversight. Like, "Ah, you know what? I'm with you and I know we need to do this, but I'm between a rock and a hard place here, Ethan. And uh, there's just just so many moments of pure popcorn movie. And Brad Bird is just a genius and so that compare like that paired with Michael Giacchino's score as well. I mean, just top to bottom. There, there's no way it's not my favorite Mission Impossible movie. So you, so <laughs> those are great reasons. All of that. So you, you said Ghost Protocol, Fallout, Rogue Nation, right? I believe so. Yeah. Which is the exact opposite of mine. No. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I knew that was gonna happen. So <laughs> I'll just say, I mean, I agree with almost all of your reasoning. You're you're nailing the things I love. I mean, I love Ghost Protocol because of the set pieces. I'll be the bad guy here, and I'll I'll kind of call out the negatives of most of these, since you just highlighted all the positives pretty well. That we we got to be able to take the good and the bad. So hit me. <laughs> my reasons for Ghost Protocol being below the other two are simply because I feel like the Burj Khalifa is such an incredible moment. And it is still the best set piece in the entire series. And I think the movie can't hold up to that afterward. I feel like it drags a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I check out when I get why you like the whole car sequence thing. But Mm -hmm. when Tom Cruise starts getting beat up by a scientist, (laughs) I just can't get behind it i'm like why is this scientist literally kicking your butt he's like got a dad bod and he's hand to hand (laughs) he's beating you up and it's it was a weird thing for me and like those are like the nitpicks for me sure and also i just didn't love the team quite as much as i have the other teams overall now i agree with you renner is great in this I, I loved him in that role as well, and I would not have wanted him to be Ethan Hunter, the next like leading guy. I think he's perfect as part of the team. I actually missed him when he went yeah. away oh, totally. uh, in Fallout. He's totally. gone, right? In Fallout? Yeah, Fallout's yeah. the one where he disappears. So I missed him in that. Uh, but yeah, that horrible end fight specifically for me was like a bit—it di- ended the movie with a sour note instead of like the biggest high. And then you get the shot of Seattle Pier— now, which is definitely I, not in Seattle. But. Yeah, but I like that, that we're trying to be in Seattle. I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> then for Fallout, I love everything about it except the ending. I think that once 
like like the moment of Henry Cavill chasing him in the helicopter, like you said, with the gun, like those are some inc- just amazing, amazing scenes. Once the helicopters crash again, we like these are the moments in the Mission Impossible series. This is a reoccurring thing for me where when it gets cartoony, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, we went too far. Like nothing about that is remotely believable. What happens at the end of that movie, and like, sure, it it kind of like devolves into the whole very old trope of like we gotta stop the timer before we blow it up, and it's like you're you've got these competing things where I was invested in the Benji and his wife trying and you know trying to like disarm bombs. Like to yeah. me, like that was amazing. But like then you've got this crazy battle going on and people hanging off of a cliff. And I mean, it's fun mm-hmm. to some extent, but like it just, it kind of didn't quite click as well for me with for the sure. rest of it. Rogue nation is my favorite primarily because it to me is the perfect balance of a mission Impossible movie from. So like, I, I think it hits a high. it maybe not, it doesn't have quite the highest highs in the series, Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have any lows for me. It is just across the board, top tier, all the way through with, you know, introducing Rebecca Ferguson. And I think because of her introduction and then also because Jeremy Renner's in it, I, it's my favorite overall team composition. And the team composition that I think all gets to shine without them being too big. Sure. Uh, once we hit Fallout, we start. We start throwing in more named actors and we start really e- expanding on star power. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, so like and the, and the other thing about Rogue Nation that I think I really don't have any notes negative wise, but because it, it's I, I love the plot. It's the introduction of the syndicate. It is fascinating idea. You've got Sean Harris and oh my gosh, that guy is just he's amazing. Great motorcycle chase. Great motorcycle in the chase. Middle, I'd, I'd forgotten about that, and I was watching that. I'm like, God, this is awesome. What they're trying to accomplish, to me, is the heart of a Mission Impossible movie. I like them less when it's all about stopping world domination, i.e. the AI or a nuclear bomb, and Agreed. more about when it's like, we got to prevent this guy from getting information that he could use to out the world's operatives, which is going to change the game. Uh, mm-hmm. for the special intelligence communities and so yeah so for me it's the best uh, obviously we we love all three i i i, I will uh, <laughs> we, we can we can be we can know. go we don't need to go rogue nation number one because i understand that i'm like very rare in my placement of that i could i mean i could i could make so, a I could make an argument for it because I'm, I'm with you on the end of Fallout in the sense of you've got two very different competing things going on. And there's also moments where, you know, obviously we sp- suspend a lot of disbelief sometimes in these films. Going back to Ghost Protocol, though, there's a moment where everybody had the same exact thought in the theater when he comes back through the window with the fire hose and hits his head right on the. I'm like, now you're you dead. He, yeah, you're, you're dead. Gone. That's, that's mega death. There have been a couple <laughs> things where I'm like, how are you? There's a moment in Dead Reckoning. I won't say what it is, but it's so unexpected. And I was like, oh, are you okay? Like, how are you getting back up? <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the, it, you're right. Rogue Nation, I think, is a little, little less cartoony in that same sense. And the whole 
that back end of trying to uh, to trap Sean Harris. There was, you know, watching it again, I think, really gave me the full circle for the film itself, though, too, from how it starts and how it kind of connects in the end, just with uh, Sean Harris and his intro to Ethan Hunt, and then how Ethan ends with That's him in a, a box. Great point. Like, the ending of these films being an action set piece versus something that took ingenuity and was a carefully calculated setup and capture. I guess there's something so much more rewarding to me when that happens than just because I mean, plenty of when movies he's give me the cool action set pieces, pieces, but when he oh. realizes it and, and starts oh. shooting the glass and dude, the, the look to see and to see a villain go from so cold and calculated calm and like just perfect tone and demeanor the whole way through and for one second then he's rattled because he realizes he got outsmarted and he's and and it just it's chilling to me in in like such a great way but anyway i but i will give you (laughs) ghost protocol simply because i think like we're doing this for us but i also think there is such a ghost protocol hive that exists i i could go rogue or not rogue sorry yeah rogue at two for sure i will fall out at four i will take that and we can put okay am i one at three wait am i wait because we're we're, i was trying to remember where did you have am i one i mean i am i one mission impossible i have it at two but but i was willing (laughs) to give you four because you know well it and fallout i love both a lot so i I, i'm okay okay with i'm okay with with four (laughs) If I get Rogue Nation at two, I can live with that because because it's my favorite. So, so I'm okay with this. I'm okay with first. So I'm okay with. So we, we're gonna. This is gonna be the final order. So it's Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, Mission Impossible Three, Mission Impossible Two. Can you live with that? Only until I. Uh figure out your breakdown for the daniel craig james bonds i feel like oh, that no. could be uh, <laughs> I don't know if you... <laughs> that, that could be a really another interesting uh yes foray. That, it, it really would because there's one that people hate that i actually there's two that people don't like that i love so <laughs> that's, that's promising to hear because the uh, yeah. I, I tell you thinking about dead reckoning just when you'd mentioned going analog earlier you know i think back to skyfall and just this idea of like, all right, if we got to be off the grid and if you got to go old school, whether it's booby trapping or whatever, you know, there's something really enjoyable about going that route and traveling down the road less traveled in terms of telling your action story or how we're going to make our way back. I didn't, you know, it's interesting to see Dead Reckoning as low as it is in our group. But again, you know, these films, they're all enjoyable. You could sit down and watch any one of these, be really well to massively entertained, and feel confident in your decision to watch these. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. We'll end on that because that's exactly what I think. You know, this is a movie you want to go see no matter what. And I think I said it earlier, but it is a franchise that it's so much better overall in quality than most other franchises have ever been able to achieve. So, a movie being fifth in this one is not the negative thing that it oh. might be in some other series. <laughs> don't don't think that. There is there's one last 
thing I just wanted to mention. I'd seen people talking about it on Twitter and online and just the idea that, you know, these movies have really evolved with other action franchises that have evolved throughout uh, the last 20 or so years, whether it's some of the Fast and Furious movies in terms of some of the stunt work they're able to do with cars, some of just the flat-out action that we're seeing now, hand-to-hand combat, with the rise of John Wick and all these stunt choreographers taking their shot at directing, uh, moving through Daniel Craig, James Bond, uh, for sure. There's tons of inspiration that they kind of take there. But this franchise just keeps finding a way to tell maybe a slightly similar story to what we know, but showcase it in a way that, even if familiar, is probably done better than what we're thinking about while watching it. I mean, immediately, the Fast and Furious reference that you made right after the movie ended, it was like, dude, this is night and day. (laughs) Like, they need to hire whoever does the car work for these movies. So much different. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you for doing this. This has been awesome. Uh, It's been a blast. I've had a great time with it. And I'm grateful that I got to talk through these with you, man. Dude, no, thank you for having me. This is, you know, first time doing something in this nature. And I mean, you're incredibly prepared. Cool as a cuecumber. I'm like, this was, <laughs> I mean, no, it, it, it's that cool way of feeling like, yeah, I'm just, I'm talking with a friend right now. I'm like, you know, Good. it doesn't feel Good. NPR level <laughs> voices or anything like that. But, uh, but no, thank you for the opportunity to do this. And thanks again for helping get the kick in my butt to just get back into this whole thing, man. It looked like, yeah. since, since April, I was looking, I was like, I guess that's only been like, three months that i've been back reviewing and doing this in a more consistent capacity but i mean truly i thank you again for just helping me get back into the world and getting rebit by the bug happy to do it we'll tell people where they can find the plethora of reviews that you have put out since april once again in case they forgot yes sir at nicktiffany.com that's going to be the the main hub for everything from uh, blog style written reviews and then uh podcast as well as well as some interviews and different uh older things like that and then you can find me on anywhere that you podcast apple spotify maybe not stitcher anymore since stitcher's going away but uh you can find me on youtube now as well just under uh, everything will be under nick tiffany's movie reviews so that you know the give me a little leeway with the website i'm still working on the header you know we're we're still dusting off some of the the coding books and you know i'm I'm learning as i go along so it'll it'll look whole pretty soon (laughs) it looks really good to me so hopefully people will check it out be sure to subscribe to your podcast and your youtube and all that good stuff as well follow you on social media you got social media Uh, you didn't mention social media uh facebook I think we got a page set up for just Nick Tiffany's movie reviews on there. On Twitter, I'm Nick Tiffany ninety five, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm, you'll probably see a lot of Justice League and I was going to wonder if you were going to mention that. Be, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Turn the re, turn the retweets <laughs> off, you know, and and then you'll get the the actual content. <laughs> I love it. You wouldn't All be right. the only one who said that. <laughs> Okay, listeners. Well, that's it for this week on FF Plus. Hopefully you've enjoyed this and it has helped 
Make your decision on whether or not you need to go see this movie. The answer is yes. So if if your answer if you came away with yes. the answer of no, then I don't know. We did something. Listen, listen back wrong. again. Yeah, I think we failed. <laughs> uh, otherwise, if you do see one of the films or the film that we talked about on this movie, on this movie, I am. It's late. If you do see one of the movies that we talked about on this podcast, any of the Mission Impossible's. Hit us up. Let us know what you thought of our rankings on social media. Tell us where you disagree because we know you probably will. And then also let us know what you thought of Dead Reckoning Part 1 once you get a chance to see that. As always, again, thank you for listening. I will be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.